Hello, I'm Casey. And I'm Emily. And you're listening to A Sprinkle of Sugar, A Dash of Murder, a true crime podcast with an element of baking. And what are you baking this week? So this week's bake is a Bavarian pot roast. Um, I actually have no idea uh, what happened in this crime or uh, murder or whatever that we are covering, but I know that the person is Bavarian, right? Yep. So that's all I know. Um, but you know, I did not have a pot roast, so I actually used a, or like a beef chuck roast. I actually had venison, uh, a, which is deer for deer? those of you that don't know, uh, that my husband got last November. So I decided to put that in the crock pot. This actually calls for a Dutch oven, but I decided to just toss it in my crock pot. And, um, you know, most pot roasts have, like, potatoes and carrots. And this one actually doesn't call for any of that. And surprisingly enough, this this recipe has tomato sauce. Ooh. Um, and some ground ginger, which would add a different, a different tang to it. So I'm actually really excited to try it. It's cooking right now. It smells amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm sorry that you can't have any, Emily. I know. It's fine. In my head. But should we make our announcement now? Yes, we have big news. Super big news. We are really excited. So Emily and I have decided to switch it up a bit. We are going in a new direction. And we're no longer going to be doing the baking and the cooking um, and we want to dive more into the criminals' minds. Yes. So we're going to begin our podcast. Would you like to share the title, Emily? Yeah. So our new name is going to be Macabre Minds, which is, it kind of encapsulates everything we want to talk about, like supernatural, psychological things, everything. So Yes. It fits everything into it, you know, with... Sprinkle of sugar, dash of murder. For one, that's a mouthful. I yeah. <laughs> from the beginning, name. it's been a long title. So macabre minds, you know, it'll be in your mind. <laughs> it's easier yeah. to remember, and it doesn't have anything to do with. Um, it doesn't put us in a box with you know sprinkle of sugar, dash of murder. We have to bake everything each time, and we have to cover murder, even though we don't. But based on the time we would (laughs) yeah so we just think it would be a better direction for us we want to have more talks about psychological processes and things like that with and like looking into the psyche of people um so that's kind of the direction we're not getting like these episodes will exist it's just going to we're gonna transform it into the new the new podcast so right yeah. yeah, you'll still be able to listen to these current episodes. We could not bring ourselves to just stopping this podcast completely. It would yeah. be two years down the drain. Right. Two and years even doing this. Yeah. I'm proud of what we've done. Hopefully you guys like what we've been doing. So <laughs> yeah. um, we want to continue just slightly different. So look, that'll probably happen within the next couple of weeks, maybe next month that will be fully transitioned, something like that. So Yeah, we're thinking we're thinking like beginning of November. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah. So when we have more updates of how exactly the transition is going to work, we'll definitely keep it updated. We're just trying to change this one into the new one. We don't know how that's going to look on like Spotify and stuff, yeah. but we'll figure that out for sure. So. Yeah. Yep. This is still in the works, but um, we're going to have completely new socials. So we'll announce that when they come out um, and we will be more active on our socials. Uh, so we're, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get better. I think yeah. so. I think that <laughs> we are actually kicking into high gear and we're going to have a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah. And maybe we'll finally think of a nickname for our listeners yeah for you guys so you know uh okay I do have to be honest <laughs> when Emily and I were thinking of the name uh we were having a hard time and I uh was doing a little googling and researching <laughs> and I found the word macabre and I go what the heck does macabre mean <laughs> Emily's like uh macabre <laughs> and I'm like no one knows what that means. And she's like, Casey, no, it's people know what it means. You you just don't. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't think I'm alone in this. We're so in a happy. we're in a scruffle situation <laughs> again. <laughs> scruffle all over again. Oh god. <laughs> when we're just trying to say scuffle the whole time. <laughs> um, but macro wait, macabre. <laughs> macro <laughs> so anyway yeah. let's get into it this is gonna be a shorter episode this week yes okay so today we're talking about anna marie han she was born in 1906 in a bavarian town called fusen um which is german it's in germany um by the alps um, her family were furniture manufacturers, and they were pretty well off. Um, she was the youngest of 12, and she was her mother's favorite. It was no secret. Um, when she was 19, she met this famous Viennese physician, Dr. Max um, Machecki. And for her, it was love at first sight, and she ended up pregnant. And he said he was going to marry her, but then he dipped. So <gasps> not exactly love at first sight like she thought. Um, and then she found out there was no Dr. Metschecki in Vienna. He had oh. made the whole thing up to make him seem like a important person. That lying sack of poo. Yeah, that really sucks. That really does suck. Um, but she talked fondly of him till... Like, her whole life, she she didn't really care that he... I mean, I'm sure she cared that he did that to her and lied, but, like, she was like, we were happy the time we were together, and I don't know. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, maybe uh, love makes you a little blind. Yeah. Her family, however, was very mortified by this pregnancy because she was not married, and... When her son Oscar was born, they decided it would be best if they went to America um, to be away from this, you know, gossipy town. No one was going to be with her in their town. Uh, yeah. So, but it took wow. her two Yeah. Whole, can you imagine, like, the whole family just packing up and leaving because one person got pregnant? Like, that's just kind of a lot. <laughs> oh, no, it was just her. 
they sent her oh. home. Yeah. Oh. They were like, bye. I thought it was bye, awesome. Anna. No. Oh yeah. my gosh. They didn't care that much. But <laughs> <laughs> it took her two years to get a visa, however. So she left when she was 22 with, um, she left Oscar with her parents until she could get a job in America. Um, and she wrote to an uncle in America, um, Max Doschel, and she was like, hey, can I come stay with you in Cincinnati? And he said, sure, and gave her $236 for the trip. Um, and so she showed up to stay with him in February of 1929, and she got scarlet fever immediately. But she recovered Yikes. by April. Yeah. Good thing. I wonder if... Yeah, I wonder if she ended up with scarlet fever because she, like, I wonder if it was a thing in Germany at the time, and then since her immune system didn't know what it was, it it attacked her so quick. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. They say, well, I know a lot of people got sick during travel back then, so that's highly likely. Yeah, I mean, travel isn't what it is today, and even today, people always get sick when they're traveling, but it's a long travel mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you'd probably have to take a ship right yeah yeah right i don't know i'm, I'm not so sure of how flights worked in 1906 or no 1930s wait 1929 let me see are we stupid <laughs> we might be when did commercial <laughs> flights become a <laughs> yeah wait uh <laughs> were commercial flights around in 1930 okay so it was very uncommon okay so she probably um, didn't have enough money for that yeah and that's in 1930 but it's like wait okay this is actually a cool fact from okay. usatoday.com so we know that's it's legit only 6,000 americans traveled commercially by airplane in all of 1930 wow yeah, so I'm it sure was that's like thing. a few weeks here. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm sure it's a less. day. I'm sure it's yeah. one day. Six thousand for sure. I mean, out of every city, hundreds of flights mm, are going on. That's true. Or tons. Of, I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's a little dramatic, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, we sound stupy. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. It's part of our learning. Time. Learning. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> so Anna started making money working at a hotel and she started spending it on like luxurious purchases of clothes. Um, but apparently she couldn't repay her uncle for her trip expenses. Um, she wasn't that wealthy, apparently. Um, she even told him she was starting to build a house and they were very confused by this. They were like, how are you having enough money for this? And but she always liked to present herself as having enough money that she was like well off, even though she was living with them. Wasn't Yikes. really building a house. Yeah. Um, she met a man named Philip Hahn at the hotel and they started seeing each other. And a year after the relationship started, they got married. Um, and Anna decided it was time to get Oscar from Germany. And her aunt and uncle were flabbergasted when he showed up because she had never mentioned having a son before, which is very odd. Wouldn't yeah. you talk about that a lot? You'd think. You'd think uh, so. 
So they just were fed up with like her weird little lies and decided you can't live with us anymore. Um, and they cut ties with her just as the Great Depression was starting. Ooh, that's kind of mean. I know. But they love me. She was obsessed with money, but she was not very frugal. She liked she had this addiction of placing bets at horse races, which could get her in a lot of trouble when she couldn't repay when she lost and stuff like that. But she was a gambler. Yeah. It's like that uh what my dad has always told me is like people that appear to be wealthy are not always wealthy. Yeah. So it seems like she was like that person where she just she bought expensive things, but it didn't mean that she had the money to be able right. to do that. Yeah. She liked to pretend she was rich. Same, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, she opened a restaurant with her husband, but then she tried to burn it down for insurance money. And then she tried to burn down their house for the same reason. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. This- so many people do that. I know. Especially in that time. I mean, I think that that's actually, she's kind of late to the game because yeah. I think that was really common in like the late 1800s, early yeah. 1900s. H-H-O. And then, you know, and the, yeah, exactly. And then uh, people started catching on a little bit more. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't the thing to do around the 30s by that time, <laughs> but she didn't know that. <laughs> Um, also, I said tried. The, both fires were put out before, so she didn't get anything out of either of that. So. See? Um, in 1932, Anna met Ernest Kohler, who was a 62-year-old man who was her landlord. Um, he owned a really large, fancy house, and he rented out a few rooms. And Anna was living in one of those rooms um, because her husband at this time was kind of they weren't divorced but they were estranged because he was like you have crazy behavior and i'm gonna i'm gonna like let you have some space for a little while so (laughs) he wasn't around um so she liked flirting with Ernest, and he kind she was kind of pretending to like be his nurse but also she was a tenant of his it was like this weird little flirtatious relationship um and when he died in 1933 he left his big huge beautiful house to her his car and a little over a thousand dollars in a savings account and all of his expensive antiques that he collected he gave that all to her um okay she left an impression yeah yeah Jeez. um clever girl uh-huh um an anonymous call to the police said that he was poisoned, but Anna said it was, I'm not going to say this right, esophageal cancer, like your esophagus? Esophageal. Okay, that's it. <laughs> um, see, this, why is, this is why we work. I know macabre and you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We've got to stay in our lanes. Yeah, that's not my lane. So. Um. The coroner checked for poison, but said there was none to be found. So nothing came of that. But I Anna... mean, wouldn't... oh no, go on. I was gonna say, wouldn't the coroner be able to tell that he died of esophageal cancer? Right. I mean, your esophagus is literally the tube that goes down your throat into your stomach. So it's 
pretty easy to tell. Yeah. I would think. I mean, you I know, you'd think diagnosed yeah. it, but pretty <laughs> obvious. Um, but Anna started thinking friendships with elderly, lonely men would be really beneficial for her, especially if they were German immigrants, because they could bond over that. Um, AKA and- sugar daddies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is going to be, this is me. This is the life <laughs> I want. So, you'll be a sugar baby. Yes. Um, one day, her husband, good old Philip, he became violently ill after meeting, eating a meal that she cooked for him. And he suspected that she had tried to kill him. So he's like, yeah, I'm for sure not going to see you anymore. Um, and he dipped out. But again, they never officially divorced. But he was officially like, we don't just need space. <laughs> we need different lives. We need space forever. <laughs> yeah. An ocean between us, maybe. <laughs> um, but Anna didn't really care because she started caring for this 63-year-old man named George Heiss or Heiss and he was very smitten with her and when she asked for money he gave it to her um and she told him she was divorced even though she wasn't and he offered to marry her um she ain't nothing but a gold digger literally that is her I don't think I sang that the right tune I think so gold digger I, I don't know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> go on. Uh, he gave her $2,000 from his company, and the credit manager showed up and was like, "What? where's this money go? This company money? And demanded that Anna repay the money. And then George began to realize, um, she's asking me for money a lot, and also I feel sick a lot after eating her food, so maybe something's wrong here. Um, and one day she brought him a dish with this little white salt sprinkled on top. And he was like, you know, I no longer want to see you because I'm a little suspicious of you. And you have to pay me my $2,000 back. And he must have known something because to just be a little suspicious, like, and then someone that he seemed to care for, just like kick her out. Mm hmm. I think he he must have known something. Yeah. And okay, I mean a little like a salt sprinkled on top. Come on, like if you're gonna poison someone, yeah, like be a little bit more discreet. Literally, but she never cared about like being discreet. She was totally out in the open, and she was like, "I'll never be caught. Don't <laughs> never suspect me." Just um, delusional. Yeah, she left him, Anna. And she started seeing Albert Palmer, who was 72 years old. He gave her $2,000 when she asked for it, which she used to pay back George. Um, oh, my gosh. But now she's in debt to Albert. <laughs> but she, of course, did not tell him that she was using it to pay off another man. Um, but Albert also began noticing that her food was making him sick. And then he started hearing rumors about her dating George who was their neighbor. So she's not even being careful. She's like, let me hop down to the next door down. Like, obviously, people around the neighborhood are whispering and talking, and she, like, doesn't care. 
how does she present herself? Like, just knocks on his door one day and is like, hello, hey, you're cute. Like, can yeah. I move in and take care of you? Oh, no, by the way, funny. <laughs> it's exactly what she does. She's like, I'm a nurse. I can take care of you. And oh then they gosh. all fall in love with her because she's this beautiful little blonde. Yeah. Sneaky, sneaky. Oh, sorry. I'm sick. I just realized I sniffled out loud. <laughs> I've been trying to mute myself whenever I do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those rumors were getting back to Albert and he found out she had dated George and he was like, you know what, Anna, you can pay me back the $2,000 or we're going to get engaged and you're exclusively my girlfriend. You can't date him anymore. And I'm like, um, Wow. Uh okay. I mean that's that's a an angle. Yeah, I <laughs> wouldn't go for that, but that's what he went for. So um but then he died March 26, 1937 of an apparent heart attack right after he was gave her this ultimatum. So Oops. suspicious. Um And then she went to an apartment building downtown, literally knocked on the door, and asked the super if there were any old men that lived there. And the super was like, uh, Jacob Wagner, or Jacob, that's not even a name. Jacob (laughs) Wagner, he's this German immigrant. And she was like, oh, yes, perfect. He's my uncle. Even though she didn't know his name like two minutes earlier. Um, Yeah, so. Oh, yeah. To answer your question, she is that bold. Wow. <laughs> on the door. That's um, crazy. Yeah. So she slipped a note under this man's door to arrange a meeting, and they hit it off right away. Um, And after seeing each other for a while, she starts asking him for money. And she's like, I can totally pay you back. I have $15,000 in the bank. I just need this, like, right now, and that's my savings that I don't really want to get into. But... That's very sloppy because it just doesn't make sense why you would request money when you have money. Um, Yeah. And she was also juggling multiple men within the same neighborhood. So like we said, people are talking. So she's not very like crafty. Like which thinks she is. I mean, they're like, that's definitely something people do. Gold digger is a term for a reason. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, like you said, there's a way to do it, I guess. And like, so do none of these men have families that like check in on them? That's kind of sad. Like, if yeah. I was the daughter of like one of these men, and like I see this happening, like I would be pretty suspicious. Mm-hmm. Kind of sad. I know she purposely picked like old men with no family. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then she also, she killed a woman by poisoning her ice cream just to steal this $80 from this woman and her fur coat. Randomly. What so, did she put in that ice cream? I don't I wonder. Oh, you know, there's already that in ice cream, right? I could be what? wrong. I remember someone told me that. And then I said, oh, well, then you should eat a lot of ice cream. So then you're poisoned and their feelings are really hurt. <laughs> He was so offended when I said that to him. Oh my god. Of course. He, so he was like, why would you say that? And I was like, I was kidding. <laughs> oh my Are god. Are you looking it up? That's hilarious. 
Are you looking it up right now? Yes, yes, I am. It says that's well, the internet says that is false. Oh, it was specifically McDonald's ice cream. Oh, interesting. I'm probably wrong. It was Kenny Curse that told me that. So, xylitol. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> oh. Well, okay. I actually learned something else. Okay. Um, okay, so I was wrong. Obviously, I was wrong. I mean, that sounds a little bit dramatic to be correct. This was something someone in high school told me. Luckily, we fact-checked. So, no, I'm I'm not correct. But <laughs> everyone should know not to feed their dogs McDonald's ice cream because it contains xylitol, sugar, in it. Which is toxic to your pets. So, specifically, McDonald's ice cream contains xylitol. Dang. Okay, good to know. I learned something. Not always. You know, this is actually interesting. This is now the second time that we've Googled something during this podcast. (laughs) And we learned something new. Yay! Interesting facts. We are educational. We're educational and we're educated now. Yes. Okay. You know, you learn best when you're wrong. I know. Okay, so wait. Mistakes. Oh, we're going on a little tangent. Okay, so okay. I, I I further investigated the ice cream thing. Um, in Victorian America, um, there were ice cream vendors on the street, and people were getting very very sick, and like a few people died. So they were like, what's the problem with the ice cream? And um, it turned out it was like the hygienic practices of the vendors were not good. So people were getting really, really sick. Refro- they were like refreezing ice cream, not using like any gloves, not cleaning dishes. Um, so people were getting really, really sick. And some there were rumors going around before everyone knew it was just like illness from that, that there were it was being poisoned with arsenic. Oh and, my God. Um, so then the, it was investigated and everyone was like, okay, you're not being poisoned, but you are getting really sick from nastiness. So <gasps> that's probably where that rumor came from. So that is the more you think. Yeah. That's yes. Really okay. Cool. So I learned something, but oh my gosh, that, that so is disgusting. Can you imagine like, letting ice cream melt and then get all nasty and curdled or whatever oh yeah yeah and then and then refreezing it and serving it to people that is so gross like like i understand that people didn't always know like what germs could do and like people didn't always wear gloves and weren't the most clean but Mm -hmm. that's just basic you got to keep that stuff frozen or cold at least disgusting yeah oh Nasty. Ice Nasty. cream betrayed me. Gave I know. Me that would suck. <laughs> trying to enjoy a little sweet, a little stuff. treat. Oh man, that's rough. <laughs> it is really rough. Okay. Anyway, anyway. wow, this is a big tangent. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So suddenly, um, this poor man, Jacob, suddenly had to go to the hospital. He was semi-conscious, con- <laughs> conscious, 
<laughs> oh my god <laughs> and he was in a lot of pain um and he had a lot of arsenic in his system and he was begging and begging for water which is like a side effect of arsenic poisoning it makes you like insatiably thirsty hmm. um and he died pretty quickly like it was too late for him and Anna showed up to the hospital crying and she said, oh, maybe somebody should look for his important documents. And sure enough, the police go to the house and they find this handwritten will just carefully placed on the mantle of the house saying oh. that, yeah, that's a normal place to keep it. Where everyone keeps their will. Yeah. <laughs> right above the fireplace. Um and it said after funeral expenses, everything would go to his relative, Anna Hahn. Um, and nobody really batted an eye. And a few weeks later, she had a new boyfriend named George Zellman. Um, he gave her a couple hundred dollars and started telling people, we're going to be married tomorrow. But come the morning of their supposed wedding day. He was found dead in his bed with a meal on the bedside table with 18 grains of arsenic in it, which is enough to kill somebody twice. Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, she then met Johann George Orbenjofer, <laughs> German name, I cannot say. Um, and he was a cobbler. And she went in to see, like, hey, can you fix this shoe for me? And then after a little while, they started dating. Oh, and... so she did a meet cute. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Um, she said she owned a farm in Colorado and told him she was going to travel there with Oscar to see if it would be a good fit for them as a family. And he was, like, really excited. Uh, so on July 20th, 1937, he packed up his things to say goodbye or said goodbye to his family because he did have family um, and went to her house for dinner before they were to leave in the morning. Uh, but in the morning, he was so ill that Anna and Oscar had to help him into a cab. Um, but they continued the trip anyway and took a train to Chicago and Anna and Oscar stayed in this fancy hotel, but she put Johan in this crappy motel. He didn't even stay with them. What a jerk. I know. So uh, I just realized that Oscar has been around for this whole thing. Yeah. That yeah. poor kid. I feel so bad. Yeah. That he had to go through all this, too. Yeah. Oh, Oscar. Um... So the next morning, Anna went to check on him and found him in so much pain. And he was writhing around on the bed, covered in his own feces, really nasty. And she was like, oh, here, have some, some of this watermelon. It'll make you feel better. And, but he couldn't keep it down. He kept throwing it up. Um, and she started writing letters to his banker saying he wanted his money transferred to the Denver National Bank. And also needed $1,000 in the meantime. And she waited around at the bank for days. But the money did not come that she was waiting for. And finally, the motel staff, they had been refusing to go into his room because the smell was getting, like, worse and worse. Uh, oh, no. Yeah. That's just disgusting. And finally, someone went in there and found him just in 
agony. And they're like, you have to take him to the hospital. And she was like, I barely know this man. Why would I take him to the hospital? Like, you came together. You're ridiculous. Um, okay. Um. Yeah, because you're the person that checked him in. Yeah. I mean, for like, that's hardly even the reason. And you're literally you're handling his financial stuff. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess they didn't know that, but ridiculous. Uh, yeah. So they got on a train to Colorado Springs. She did not take him to the hospital. <laughs> and Oscar was sitting next to Johan. He was drawing some, like, weird pictures, I guess. And at one point, Johan was, like, looking at the pictures. And he started just repeatedly saying, like, witches, witches. Like, he thought they were witches. But the other passengers were like, oh, you're just a senile old man and you're sick. So they ignored him. What the heck was Oscar drawing? I don't know, but that's gotta be really weird. I don't know. Poor Oscar. He's probably, like, gonna end up all messed up because his crazy mom. (laughs) For sure. I mean, if you're drawing pictures that make someone call you a witch, I'm sure. Whatever it was. Um, So when they arrived in Colorado Springs... Oscar and Anna left him in the hotel room and they went sightseeing. And when they returned, Anna saw a door open at the motel and she's like, well, let me just see myself in some random door. And she stole two diamond rings from whoever was staying in that room. But as she was leaving the room, the hotel owner like saw her and she was like, oh, it was just such a pretty room. I was just admiring it. And she left with the rings. What Uh, the heck? I know, right? Yeah. Um, and then she finally checked Johan into the hospital, saying he was some homeless man that she found, and he died at the hospital. So, it was like she was waiting for, like, the point of no return, you know, to get him to the hospital. Right. But that's, like, that's really interesting that she always, like, gets them right up to that point. Like, I wonder how she knows that. Yeah. It's so awful. Yeah. And to leave them in that much pain for days, like, ugh, I can't imagine. Right, like, would I mean, she would, I, I wonder if she was literally just doing it for the money, or if, like, she enjoyed torturing. Yeah. I think, I, I think she, both. Yeah, I think, obviously she wanted something, but she had no qualms of, like, leaving people feel pain. Right. There's other ways to get money, I feel like, than, like, torturing someone that bad. Like, yeah. I feel like she wasn't getting that much money to really, like, be making that much of a difference. Right. Um, so, back in August of 1937, right before she had left to go to Colorado, police were investigating Jacob Wagner's death because they had received a phone call um with a tip like i think he was murdered so they started investigating foul play while she was gone and now police were also looking into anna for two diamond rings that she had stolen just in um in colorado so she's wanted in two places now um wait was jacob the one that they found the plate with the arsenic right next to his bed yes okay no that was george but jacob was 
obviously also poisoned because that's her mo but wait so um, this you think she's is she considered a black widow then yeah i would say yeah because she's like dating these men right yeah yeah both right he was yes yeah so jacob was the one who when she left him at the hospital he was like begging for the water right before he died so yeah okay um i know they're all similar unfortunately um okay so she pawned the rings to get a ticket back to cincinnati and as soon as she arrived they arrested her for grand larceny but that was like it quickly unfolded into a lot of other charges too um they were putting together connections like a cincinnati man had just died in colorado and you were there at the same time and there were a lot of witnesses because she was careless of like her taking care of all these old men and everyone in the neighborhood knew she was taking care of jacob right before he died so you know put that all together um and for her mugshot, she combed her hair and smiled and said, here I am, boys, make this a good picture of me. So she totally believed she was going to get off with anything. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Because she's never faced a consequence in her life. Right. Exactly. On the day of her arraignment, the courtroom was packed, 15 women to every man in the room. Um, the women were fascinated by her and they really sympathized with her as a mother. Um, and Oscar was there, of course. And they were like, she couldn't possibly. She's a young mother. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, women, I mean, like, that's the thing. I was thinking about this the other day, actually. So, like, all people that are into true crime, well, not all of them, but, like, majority are women. Yeah. And, like, I don't fully understand why. I think it's because, like, if a dude was really into true crime, it'd be creepy. Like, I think that if a guy was, like, if I was on a date and this guy was, like, oh, yeah, I have a true crime podcast. And I I would be, like, right. ooh, what, what's wrong with you? Like, why? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, that's so, that's such a bad double standard that I, I have. I know. Like, what's wrong with us? <laughs> I know. It's, like, I know I'm not, I'm not messed up in the head. Well, I kind of am, but not in that way. Right. <laughs> but, like... I don't know. It's just, I think that men kind of know, like, not to be into that stuff. Otherwise, you're going to be deemed as creepy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then um, women are just so into it. I think because we're um more vulnerable to being the victims. So we, yeah. like, want to know everything. Like, okay, what can possibly happen? I need to know. Yeah. I know. And then just the drama. We're just into it. <laughs> I know it's a it's something we've talked about before but it's definitely like you keep going at it like why I don't know you know (laughs) well I just I mean think about that if you were on a first date and the guy is telling you that he loves watching crew crew crime documentaries and like he had a podcast and listens to it all the time Maybe you'd be like, okay, all right. I mean, I do too, so I guess I can't judge. But also in the back of your mind, wouldn't you be like, is there more to that? Right. Yeah. Like, um, I'm a little suspicious of you now. Yeah. I'm so sorry for all of our male listeners. I don't think you guys are creepy. 
I just, it's, it's an issue that I have. <laughs> right. Right. It's an, it's an issue on me. Not on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. um, anyway. So the jury was made up of 11 women and one man. And it, they were called the petticoat jury because it was alarmingly female skewed. Um, <laughs> Anna's family was very uninterested in her case. They did not come when they were notified. Um, they were like, she has nothing to do with us anymore. So Oscar and Philip were the only two people who showed up for her. Philip Hahn, her estranged husband all this time. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So Anna was tried for Jacob's murder because that one would be the easiest to prove. They had her handwritten will that she made. Um, and his autopsy showed enough arsenic to kill him twice over. So it wasn't looking good for her. Her defense team was terrible. And one of her lawyers said it was a job nobody could handle. Um, and she started being called the Ice Queen or Iceberg Anna because in court she was totally emotionless and cold. Didn't care at all. Um, and everyone said she had icy eyes. So... Just, that just stared at you. You know, I mean, that's not really the angle you want to go at. You don't want to be very cold when you're in front of a jury, especially like when probably your best angle is that you're a mother and like, yeah, people want to sympathize with you. But if you're being stone cold, you're not going to get that. Yeah. But I don't know. She was just so sure of herself, I guess. Um. The judge then, after a few weeks of the trial, allowed the other murders to be taken into account after her arsenic, or I said her arsenic, but whatever, after arsenic was found in the bodies of the other men that she had killed. So mm -hmm. it was stacking up against her, and witness after witness stood up to talk against her, and a toxicologist actually found arsenic grains in her purse. So, um wasn't looking good and then george hess who lived to tell the tale was the star witness he was like yeah she absolutely tried to kill me yes albert the one that wanted to marry her yeah yep <laughs> this guy's like no i think i think you're poisoning me so you owe me my money back like, and you're getting yeah. me here yes that was who he was yeah um <laughs> listening <laughs> glad somebody is <laughs> <laughs> So Oscar also took the stand, but he was just as cold and factual and very careful with his answers. Um, so it didn't really, his testimony didn't do much. Um, do you know how old he was at this time? No. Um, no, I don't know. I wonder, yeah. I'm trying to think back of when he was he was born like 1927. It's 10 years later. He's like probably 11-ish. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense because his mom probably coached him. Yeah. And he's probably just like doing what his mom told him to do or copying yeah. what his mom's doing. Probably. His mom is his only family, so. Right. You know. As far as he knows, this is normal. Right. I'm sure that's what he thinks. So. Oh, child. Definitely messed up. 
But um, so the closing argument was pretty damning, and the jury found her guilty without mercy, which at that time meant mandatory death penalty. What? Uh, yeah. Which is, that's such a strange sentencing. That's something we don't have now, guilty without mercy. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds so aggressive. harsh, but like, yeah. Um, in December of 1937, Anna was moved to Ohio Penitentiary in Columbus, and a special cell was built just for her to isolate her um, because she was the only female prisoner there. So they kept her separate. Um, at first, the matrons all called her the bravest woman I ever saw, and people wrote to her, offering to take her place in jail. So she was one of those prisoners that people were just, like, in love with, I guess. Well, people were thinking that she was, like, more stoic on a stand than ice cold. Yeah. Um, in jail, Anna wrote confessions but she spun them to make it seem like she was out of her mind. And she wrote, it was like reading a book about another person. I couldn't believe that was me. God only knows what made me do those things. And then she like blamed her childhood and circumstance on yeah, right. what she did. I'm like, okay, you had a really good childhood. You're, you were yeah. your mother's favorite and you guys were pretty wealthy. So yeah, I don't think so. I mean, no. No, there was a lot of calculating to that. This was not just like some accident that you found yourself in. You yeah. co- continuously did it. The o- and the only reason why you stopped was because you got caught. Yeah. You need exactly. to do it. Um, Oscar also petitioned to the governor for release, but the governor said no. Um, and when her time started coming closer, she got like pretty crazy. And the matrons and the warden all said Gone was the ice queen, poised, confident, and proud, and in her place stood a little witch, a demon with a wild look in her eyes. So she was no longer confident she was going to get out, like she yeah. always thought. She's like a little quartered animal. Yeah. Um, on her last day, she was allowed to spend time with Oscar, but when they told him it was time to go, she fought so hard against like the orderlies that they had to sedate her. Um. And on December 7th, 1938, she walked down death row and the inmates wished her good luck and goodbye. And she said goodbye to all of them as she walked down. Um, And when she saw the electric chair, she just collapsed on the ground and started begging for her life. And she was frantic and had to be like forced down into the chair because she was fighting so hard. And... um. The warden said no convict he had ever seen was as terrified of the chair as Anna Han. And wow. Yeah, that's that's got to be saying something too of how crazy she was, but I she mean, was executed and that was it. Wow. I think it's because like she was so frantic like that. I want to say it's because she was so like convinced for so long that it took her a really long time to accept it like usually people I mean I don't know this for sure but I think that usually people accept it a lot like like way before it actually happens they yeah. accept that their fate but at this point she was like in such denial yeah that, like, I agree that she could not accept it all the way up until the time mm-hmm. 
Yep. So that is the story of Iceberg Anna. Iceberg Anna. You know, I I do think it's interesting how many women we do end up covering. Is this out of that book that you were? Yeah. So I have a book called Lady Killers, and it has a bunch of um, female serial killers in it. And I just find them. I don't know. I find them fascinating. So yeah, no, once it in is. a while, I like to pull from that book. So It is always really fascinating because you don't hear about it often. Yeah. Um, And it is funny how most women's uh, choice is poison. Yeah. Most of the time. And I, I there's a, um, in the book, I remember the author writes that um, people say poison is a coward's weapon. And she argues in the book, she's like, it absolutely is not. It is a slow, torturous, personal death. Like, you're not a coward. You're reveling in torture, basically, if by poisoning somebody. Because it takes time. Like, you have to poison people over time if you're trying to be careful about it. And that takes, like, that's not being cowardly that's being so vindictive and like evil so i agree with her like that's not yeah that's like really me awful that's really personal too and i mean they're sitting there trying to act like or they have to act like everything's fine the whole time Mm -hmm. and usually it's like you know she's cooking them a meal and so then they take it as like oh showing love towards them but really, it's like them cooking poison into your food. Literally. That is so insane and just diabolical. Yeah. I mean, definitely, definitely not cowardly. You know what that is? That is a macabre mind right there. That is. you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right well thank you for uh doing all that research and everyone i hope that you're as excited as we are for this new transition um we really think we're gonna we're gonna um what's the word i'm looking for try to do more of a push towards getting more listeners and everything with uh this macabre mind so spread the word and uh beginning of november Hear us out. It's gonna be cool. It's gonna be fun. Yes. Our same dorky uh selves. Yeah. Uh, just a little <laughs> bit of a switch up. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, on that note, I'm Casey. I'm Emily. And you just heard a sprinkle of sugar, a dash of murder. <laughs>